Great to be out again with God's people this morning and to listen to what our God has to say to us through His Word together. If you want to turn to Deuteronomy 11, that's where we're going to start the lesson this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 11. And here where we are in Deuteronomy is Moses is in the middle of his last speech or speeches to the people of Israel. Moses is just sort of reminding them of who God is and what he's done for them and encouraging the people over and over again to stay faithful to God as they cross into the promised land. And that brings us here to Deuteronomy 11. And in Deuteronomy 11, as Moses is encouraging the people to love God, he gives them two examples of the great signs they have seen God do. One of them is positive and one of them is negative, but both of them are an example of the power and works of their God that they have seen. So if you want to pick up in Deuteronomy 11 with us, we're just going to read uh, the first seven verses together. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. And consider today, since I am not speaking to your children who have not known or seen it, consider the discipline of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, his signs and deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all his land, what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and to their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea to flow over them as they pursued you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day, and what he did to you. In the wilderness until you came to this place. And what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, son of Reuben, and how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them in the midst of all Israel. For your eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord that he did. So here in these verses, we see Moses give a positive and a negative example from Israel's history to represent the power and the works, the discipline of God, as Moses puts it. And the positive, right, that's the exact example we would expect. It's the exodus. It's the crossing of the Red Sea. It's God punishing the oppressors, the Egyptian oppressors, and freeing his people. That's sort of the one that we come back to most often in the Bible, the picture of the Exodus. That's exactly what we'd expect. But the other one is what God did to Dathan and Abiram. And when I was reading this, I read read this, uh, I guess, probably last week, or maybe it was Monday when I was getting ready for this. And... uh, I, I, read, uh, I, I read that just that line, what God did to Dathan and Abiram, and I didn't continue on. And I was like, all right, who's Dathan and Abiram again? It took me a second to sort of remember who. It's not a story we talk about as much. 
We didn't, it's not one of our VBS themes probably ever going to be. It's, uh, I don't know a lot of kids' songs about it. It doesn't make most of our favorite passages list, but it is an important story. And it's an important story here if for no other reason than Moses points to it as an example of the works that God did before the people of Israel to remind them of who he is. So, since Moses draws our attention to this story and says, hey, you need to remember this, this is important, that's what we're going to do this morning. If you want to turn to number 16, we're going to look at the story of Korah and Dathan and Abiram this morning, and we're going to see exactly why their story is so important to remember, why, what this warning is, and how... It's kind of the opposite of the Exodus in the way that Moses brings it up. He kind of puts these two, uh, these two examples before us. The Exodus on one side and what happened to Korah and Dathan and Abiram on the other side. So we're going to look at that this morning if you want to turn to Numbers 16. If you don't know exactly what's happened in the book of Numbers up to this point, I'll just give you a brief sort of summary. It's not a good time for the people of Israel. Um, Where we are up to this point is that we have spent a long time getting just to the cusp of the promised land. We're not even, we're not even really there yet by the time you get to number 16, but we left Mount Sinai in in chapter 10. And ever since then, everything's been bad. There's been rebellion, there's been complaining, there's been all sorts of disrespect to God. And so they, they travel through the wilderness and they get to the cusp of the promised land in chapter 13, which is when we have the story about the 12 spies, The people yet again show their lack of trust, lack of faith in God. And because of that, they're punished. They're sent right back out into the wilderness. And then the next full story we see is this story right here. So this is, you could say morale is at an all-time low in the camp of Israel. This is not a good time to be an Israelite. And that's exactly where we are when we get to this story. So if you want to, if you're in, uh, if you're in number 16 with me, we're just going to read the first three verses to start. Now Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and on, the, and, on, and on the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. And they assembled together, they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? 
So the leaders here of this rebellion are Korah and Dathan and Abiram. And if you're at some point in this lesson looking for me to answer why Moses in Deuteronomy 11 uh, 11 says Dathan and Abiram and doesn't say Korah, I'm not going to answer that. I have no idea why uh, Moses only brings up Dathan and Abiram when he talks in Deuteronomy 11. But the leaders of this rebellion are Korah and Dathan and Abiram. And they gather 250 men. But it's not just any set of 250 guys. This isn't just the ragtag bunch that they just happen to walk by in the streets. These are the leaders and chiefs and well-respected men of the people. These are the best that Israel has to offer, quote-unquote. These are the people that the rest of the congregation would have looked up to. So this isn't just some sort of uh, group, as, it, as I think it says in Exodus, of the, of the oh, what's the way it puts it? Well, the guys that you wouldn't want to hang out with, the guys that are sort of dragging the rest of the group down, that's not who's leading the rebellion here. These are the leaders of God's people. And look at the charge. What are they saying here? They're saying, Moses, we are all... God's chosen holy people. And on the surface there, they're right. That charge is correct. God has chosen all Israel as his holy people. So they start off being right, but it's what they say after that. And then Moses, why have you risen yourself above the rest of us? So the charge is Moses has placed himself over Israel. And it's not just Moses that they're mad at either. Aaron, Moses' brother, has placed himself over Israel. What these 250 men are asking is, Moses, why do you think you're so special? What makes you any different than us? They are challenging God's appointed leader and prophet. They're challenging the very one who has delivered God's law to them. And when they challenge Aaron, they are challenging the one appointed to serve as the leader of the worship of God. Don't skip past that. This isn't just, sometimes I think when we read this story, we just kind of think about it as just bad blood or like almost like a city council meeting gone wrong. That's not what's happening here. These men are challenging the very word of God and how God has instructed them to serve him. They're challenging all of that. So let's continue on uh, starting in verse 4. When Moses heard it, he fell on his face and he said to Korah and all his company, in the morning, the Lord will show you who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. So do this. Take censers, Korah and all his company, and put fire in them, and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the Holy One. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. 
And, and Moses says to Korah, hear now, you sons of Levi, is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation and minister to them? And that he has also brought you near him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you. And you would seek the priesthood also. And let's skip down to uh, pick up verses 15 through 17 as well. And Moses was very angry. And said to the Lord, do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them and I have not harmed any one of them. And Moses said to Korah, be present, you and all your company before the Lord, you and they and Aaron tomorrow. And let every one of you take his censer and put incense on it. And every one of you bring before the Lord his censer, 250 censers, you also and Aaron each his censer. And we'll stop there for now. So Moses is mad. He is infuriated at the accusation of these men. But notice it's not because Moses is mad because he thinks he's been disrespected. This isn't a personal grudge that has Moses angry. Notice what he says. He says, you think I've gone too far? You guys have gone too far. This is about what you have done to God. Because he says, yes, God has separated Israel as his holy people. That's true. Moses doesn't argue against that. And he even says to Korah, a Levite, you guys have been separated even more than the rest of the people because you have been chosen to have special honor and special jobs in service to God at the tabernacle. But now you guys want to be leaders and priests and judges too? Moses is getting after these men for being ungrateful for the position that God has put him in, for rejecting the blessings that God has already given them, rejecting the special relationship that they already have with God. These 250 men are saying, this is what being God's special people looks like? I'm not interested. That's not good enough. And Moses just seems almost taken aback. He's, he's so mad here. He's like, you want to take more from God? That's the little amount of trust you have in him, that you're willing to rebel against his whole plan just because you don't think he's given you a special enough place. And so Moses offers a challenge to Korah and Dathan and Abiram and the 250 men with him. He says, you guys want to be priests? Okay, let's try this out. Go ahead Burn some incense before God, and Aaron's going to burn some incense too, and God's going to choose who's holy to him. It makes me a little sick to my stomach thinking about how heavy that challenge would have been, that you're all going to burn incense before God, and then God's going to let you know who's holy to him. When I was reading this story, I kind of wondered what Korah and Dathan and Abiram thought was going to happen. Did they think that God was going to choose all 251 censors? Did they think God was going to choose just their 250 and he wasn't going to choose Aaron's? What did they really think was going to happen here? 
And I don't know the answer to that, but what I do know is that even though Moses told them how this was going to end before it started, he said God will choose him who is special to him. Singular. He's going to choose one. (laughs) Moses already told them how this was going to work, but they decided to continue with it anyways. They decided that they were going to prove that they knew better about what would please God better than God himself did. They're going to prove that they are just as special and just as holy and just as set apart as the men that God chose. So let's finish up the story. Um, Chapter 16, verses 18, and we'll just read through 35. So every man took his censer and put fire in them and laid incense on them and stood at the entrance of the tent of the meeting with Moses and Aaron. And then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of, all, of the spirits in all flesh, shall one man sin and you will be angry with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Say to the congregation, Get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation saying, Depart, please, from their tents. Of the, wicked, of the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. So they got away from the dwelling place of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents, together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, then they, and, and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol and the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who who were around them fled at their cry for they said, lest the earth swallow us up. And the fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. So it's kind of like what we talked about last week, a few weeks ago, whenever we talked about the story of of, uh, Deborah from Judges, that this all sort of looks like it's building up to this big climactic scene, this showdown at high noon between Aaron and all these 250 men burning their incense. And then that's just completely moved past altogether because something much more important happens. The glory of the Lord appeared to the congregation. 
And you would think, when we talk about the glory of the Lord appearing, that sounds like a super nice and comforting thing. And it is if you're on God's side. That was not super comforting to those 250 men in Korah and Dathan and Abiram. And God shows up to the scene. He obviously chooses Moses and Aaron because he chooses just to speak to Moses and Aaron. So he chooses his leader and his priest just like he had well before this day. But then the question is, are the people of Israel really his people? Because Moses says, these, these men, these 250 men, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, they have despised God as a big charge. They have hated God. They have rebelled against God. And they have perverted the congregation. They have taken evil and unholiness into God's holy people. And so God looks at Moses and Aaron and he says, I'll start over with you guys. If you come away from this congregation, I'll destroy the entire congregation and I'll start over with you guys. And uh, Moses and Aaron, they, they intervene, almost like uh, Abraham in a way, saying, will you punish the righteous along with the unrighteous? Will you punish the entire congregation for the sin of a few men? And of course, God does not, but God does have to purge the evil from the midst of him and from the congregation. And so he does this great sign by having Korah and Dathan and Abiram and everything associated with them swallowed up by the earth. The evildoers are defeated. Moses and Aaron are vindicated before the people. And God has restored Israel as his holy people by purging the evil from their midst. And so if you place yourself in the mind of the people of Israel sitting there in Deuteronomy 11, listening to one of Moses' final speeches. And he brings this idea of the great works of God, the great signs that he has done. And one of them being the amazing triumph of the Exodus. And the other is this. We have to ask ourselves, what is Moses trying to get at? What is he trying to remind the people of when he talks about this story? And I think that in some ways it comes back to this story being portrayed as sort of the opposite of the crossing of the Red Sea. The opposite of the Exodus. And just look at some of the ways that this story is described. So you start the beginning of this story. That was a lot bigger on my computer screen. Sorry about that. The beginning of this story is some evildoers... Some big time rebels, some leaders are threatening God's people. That's how the story starts. So in the Exodus, it's obviously the Egyptian Pharaoh and all of his army coming after the Israelites. And in number 16, we have the leaders of Israel 
coming after Moses and Aaron. And the stories both end the same way. They both end with the evildoers being swallowed up. For the Egyptians, they were swallowed up in the sea. And for Korah and Dathan and Abiram, they were swallowed up by the very earth itself. And of course, the obvious part is both times the good guys are God's people, one of them being Israel and the other one being Moses and Aaron. But where the story really uh, sets themselves apart is that in the Exodus, the bad guys, they're the Egyptian oppressors. They're the people of the world trying to put down Israel. But in number 16, it's the leaders of God's own people. The stories play themselves out the same way. God's people are vindicated. God's people are honored. God's people are blessed. And the rebels, the evildoers, they're punished. They're swallowed up. But the difference is in number 16, God's own people were the bad guys. The leaders of God's people. One of them was a Levite. Those instructed to help serve and lead the worship of God, they were the ones who were causing this problem. They were the rebels. In number 16, God's people are no better than the world. They act like the world. They rebel against God like the world. And because of that, they're punished like the world. In Hebrews 11:29, that passage emphasizes that the people of Israel crossed the Red Sea by faith. We don't think about that often, but Hebrews says that the people of Israel were delivered by their trust in God, by dedication to him, by obeying him. And so they were saved and delivered from their enemies. By the time we get to Numbers, the people don't have that trust anymore. They don't have that faith. They don't obey God. They complain against Him every chance they get. They rebel against Him every chance they get. In chapter 10, with the, with the 12 spies, they don't trust God to deliver them against the Canaanite tribes. Some of them had seen what God had done to the Egyptians, perhaps the most powerful nation in the world. They had seen God destroy them. They didn't trust God to do it to the Canaanite tribes. And so they rebel, they distrust in him, and they're punished. And then our chapter today, chapter 16, they yet again show their lack of faith, their lack of trust by rebelling against God's law, rebelling against the very prophet of God, rebelling against Aaron, the priest set up to oversee worship and service to God. This is a lot more than a political fight or a squabble over leadership. This is God's people, the leader of God's people, defiantly rebelling against him. This is the leaders of God's people despising him and having to be punished for it. And that's why this is such an important reminder to Moses that the very leaders of God's people, when they forget that trust, when they forget that faith, they're no better than Egypt. 
and they will not face a better outcome than Egypt. And so if we're in the crowd with these Israelites and we're hearing Moses make this speech, giving these comparisons, what we need to take away really comes back to the theme of Deuteronomy, this idea of the blessings and curses of the law. Moses lays out two sort of paths. If you want to quickly, if you're in Deuteronomy 11, I'm going to read verses 26 through 28. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way I'm commanding you today to go to other gods that you have not known. Moses says there are two paths. You want blessings? Do you want deliverance? Do you want the sort of things that God brought to Israel through the exodus? We would say, do you want to be taken out of your slavery to sin and be brought to the eternal promised land? If so, obey God. Trust him. Have faith, as Hebrews 11 says. And if you stick on God's side, he will save you. You will be his holy people and he will be your God. But on the other side, if you rebel if you disobey, if you despise God, nothing good is going to come down that path, even if you claim to be God's people. So heed Moses' warning here. Remember the story of Korah and Dathan and Abiram and those 250 leaders, that God's people are no better than the world when we distrust him. But luckily... We don't have to face that punishment. We don't have to face those curses. The happy ending is if you stick to God, you'll never see any of that ever. Put away yourself, put away your pride and serve him and trust him. And you'll find the blessings and deliverance that God promised to the Israelites. That's the story of Numbers 16 and to a certain extent, As Hebrews 11 tells us, it's the story of us as well. Trust God, have a far-sighted faith, as Kirk said, and he will bless you and deliver you. Let's pray and then be dismissed to our classes. Father in heaven, may our faith always be found as a pleasing aroma to you. Help us to strive to be holy as you are holy and to love you with all of our hearts, souls, minds, and strengths. Help us to keep soft hearts faithful to you. Keep the hard hearts of rebellion far from us. Strengthen our hands and help, them, help us to put them to work in service to you, that we may represent you in this world. All this we pray in your son's name. Amen.